we know of hundreds of planets collectively. We know of hundreds of planets orbiting red giant stars, and the one in question is planet Hala in orbit of the star Bakdu, which was discovered in 2015 by a team of Korean astronomers. To explain why researchers are so, surpri- uh, so surprised by planet Hala, Dr. Daniel Huber joins us now. He's an astronomer and senior lecturer at the University of Sydney. Hi there, Daniel. Hello, Jesse. Uh, good afternoon. Good to be with you. Nice to talk to you. This is uh, new research published today, I should say, and... Tell me where the puzzlement comes from. Yeah, the puzzle is that the, the planet really shouldn't be there um, from, from all that you know, we've learned about um, uh, planets so far. And so the planet's been discovered before, so we knew that it existed. The new piece of the puzzle that we found out in this study was something about the star itself. And so what we found out that the star actually in the past was much larger than it is today. So stars are a little bit like people. They... They can you know, grow in size, but they can also shrink in size. Um, and so for this particular star, we found out that it was much larger in the past, and it should have just engulfed this planet, uh, but yet it's, it's still there. And so that's, that's, the puzzle, that's the puzzle that we found, basically. That yeah, thank you. It really be there, but we yeah. <laughs> What are red giant stars? Red giant stars are sort of like a future version of our sun. So our sun is a relatively small star, but it turns out that, as I said, um, uh, just before that stars actually change over time. And so once they get older and they, they um, run out of fuels in the cores, they swell up and they cool. And so they become these red giant stars. So that's what we call a red giant. It's sort of, you can think about it as a future version of our sun. Our sun will be a red giant in about 5 billion years or so. Okay. And you say that these stars start swallowing things around them. Indeed, exactly. And in fact, that's what's going to happen in our solar system too. The sun will swallow Mercury, Venus, and perhaps even Earth. Um, we're not quite sure yet whether it will eventually uh, swallow Earth. But in yeah, in billions, there's no dangers uh, yet, but in billions of years, that will also happen in our solar system. Yeah, yeah kind of the least of our problems, really, in 2023. Um, <laughs> so how close, can you tell us in layman's terms, how close this star is to this planet? Uh, the star and the planet. So the planet currently is about half the distance of the Earth to the sun. Uh-huh. That's about how close it is to its current star. But in the past, and that's really what we found out, the, the star itself was much, much larger. And so it basically would have expanded well beyond uh, the current uh-huh. distance of the planet to the sun. Uh-huh. Um, and so, so somehow the, the planet the survived that. Indeed, exactly. So somehow, somehow it found a way to survive it. So that's, that's sort of the big surprise. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's part of science to discover something where, where you least expect it. And we had to come up with some theories to, to explain as to why the planet, planet still exists. Yes, I'd be delighted if you would talk us through them. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, so a couple of ways that, well, we thought about a couple of ways. And one basically involves uh, the fact that the star itself perhaps wasn't always a single star. So one way that you can explain it is that the star was actually a binary star. So it turns out that you know, our sun is a single star, but it turns out in the universe there are actually many stars that are binary, so mm-hmm. two stars orbiting each other. And if that happens, then that could have prevented either one of those two stars to become large enough to actually swallow the planet. So there's an interaction that goes on between the two binaries. In fact, the image uh, that you see in the, in the press, we have a sort of artist's impression of two stars merging together and a planet being around it. And so this merging event of the two stars uh, merging into one 
could prevent either of them becoming large enough to, to swallow the planet. The planet got lucky. That that's one, yeah, it got, exactly. It got lucky um, and survived it that way. The fact that, you know, there wasn't just one star data, but there were actually two at the beginning. Okay, that's, and that's your best sort of explanation. What about this explanation or the idea that actually that's not a planet you're looking at, that Heller is not a real planet? Yeah, so that's, that's the one thing we have to uh, rule out at the very beginning. Sometimes in science, when you, when you find something extremely surprising, then the first thing you do is to rule out the most trivial explanation, the most simple one, which is, oh, maybe the planet isn't actually real, it was never there. Um, but we did a lot of tests and a lot of follow-up observations to basically confirm that the, the planet is there uh, currently. Uh, so we made sure that that's the case, and so we could rule out that you know maybe it was just a data artifact uh, or something. And we were, we're we're very certain that the planet is there, and so we had to come up with uh, some other theories to explain explain why it's there. Um, Any other theories other worth looking at with us? Sorry to interrupt. Yes, go ahead, Daniel. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, yeah. So one other scenario that could happen is that it actually formed fairly recently. So that is related to this binary scenario. If two stars orbiting each other emerge. And then the debris that basically is caused by this merging event could be basically a place where you can form a planet. So that means that the planet initially wasn't there when those two stars were born, but it formed later after the two stars uh, have merged. It's a relatively newborn planet, if you, if you wish. So that's another scenario. We can't really you know, distinguish which one is correct, uh, but those are a couple of, couple of ways that you can uh, you know, make, make a survivor uh, in the way that we see it today. Will you ever find out the information required to know more about this planet? Perhaps not about this particular one. So the way that this usually works is that we now have one example, right? So we have, we've, we've found a planet in a place where we really shouldn't, didn't think that it would exist. Um, and the way it usually works to find out, okay, which scenario really explains it is to find more of them, right? So now we know where to look. So we'll, we'll probably look at more of these stars, try to see whether more of these particular stars have planets, and then by building up sort of statistics and characteristics of, of a larger number of them, perhaps that will give us some clues as to which, which of the theories uh, is correct, where, where these planets actually come from, and how they, how they survive uh, where they are today. But it's, it's unlikely that this individual single system yeah. will really give us a definite clue. How rare do you think this planet is? It, it should be quite rare. Um, we'd actually, we actually think that planets are incredibly common in our galaxy, in our universe. So uh, we now know fairly with good certainty that on average, every star in our, in our galaxy has a planet. There are actually more planets in our galaxy than there are stars. So we have hundreds of billions of stars in our galaxy. So we have hundreds of billions of planets. But once you narrow it down to the type of star that you look at and the type of planet you look at, of course, the numbers get, get a bit smaller. So we do think that this is a fairly you know, a uh, um, rare event that a planet can survive all the way to, to where Hala is uh, today. But in general, we think that planets are incredibly common. The one thing that really this tells us is a new niche of where we can actually look for planets. And it tells us that, you know, the universe has sort of still surprises in store for us in terms of where we can actually find planets where we didn't think they could, they could survive and they could exist. How do you study these planets that are so far away? Yeah, very good question. So um, we can't really see the planet directly just because the stars are so far away and the stars are so much brighter than the planet itself. So the way that we do this is indirectly. We basically measure the effect of the planet on the star. So specifically what we measure is, is the wobble of the star towards us and away from us as the planet is moving around it and it's pulling on it gravitationally. So it causes the star to wobble 
back and forth, um, and that's the effect that we measure. So that's how we know that HALA is there. We can see this periodic movement of the star towards us and, and away from us because of the gravity of the planet that's, that's pulling on the star. So that's how we actually know it's there. Uh, directly detecting it would be a little bit, unfortunately, <laughs> a little bit too difficult. Yeah. Where are you getting your information? How are you looking at the star? Yeah, so we use a combination of space-based telescopes and ground-based telescopes. So the discovery of um, about the star, that it has swollen up to a large size in the past, comes from a NASA space telescope called TESS. Uh, TESS is actually, um, uh, was launched to find planets around other stars, but we use it to also study the stars themselves. In fact, we use a technique that's called seismology, so we actually study waves that propagate throughout the star and that tell us what the star is made of in, in its interior. Uh, so that's one data set. And then the, the ground-based telescopes, including uh, telescopes on Mauna Kea in, in Hawaii, uh, we're using to basically detect the planet. So those are the, the, that's these data we use to sort of detect the, the gravitational pull that I was talking about earlier. Daniel, you know it's my obligation to ask you about life uh, outside of Earth. Um, what do you think... Are we going to discover it? What might it look like? Uh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's what we're all after. That's uh, you know, that's why I'm in astronomy. That's that's where a lot of us become astronomers, right. is because we want to we want to find out whether there's life out there. Um, we know that there's no life on this particular planet. It's way too hot. The planet's too large, uh, but it gives us a glimpse as to you know, sort of which types of planets are out there, um, and which kind of scenarios planets can actually survive. And so. I mean, I personally believe that there is life out there. We haven't found it yet. We're, uh, I think we, we likely will in the not-too-far future. Um, and perhaps, you know, one thing, the way to think about this particular planet is that it gives us an idea of planets surviving in, in, in environments where we didn't think they would exist. And perhaps the same is true for life, right? We, we, we sometimes try to look for life like it is here on Earth. Uh, but perhaps there's actually life out there that's quite uncommon and quite unlike the, the life that we have here on Earth. Uh, we don't know that, of course, but I'm quite optimistic that eventually we'll be able to um, find life, life outside of our solar system, and that's, of course, our common goal in astronomy to find an answer to that question. Nice one. Daniel, uh, you speak very well. Thank you for explaining this one to us, and good luck for the future. Thanks so much, Jesse. Dr. Daniel, uh, Daniel Huber, an astronomer and senior lecturer at the University of Sydney.